Beyonce references um, embodying Sasha Fierce, she often talks about how when she gets off the stage, she doesn't know what happened. And she'll look at the footage back and like, whoa, did I do that? For example, mm. Chloe Bailey has referenced a similar situation when she did that one performance, I think it was at the Grammys or something, and she licked the mic at the end, and she had no recollection of doing that because she was in it. That's how you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're in it. Like, I just always see lights and I hear laughter. That's it. I don't feel anything. I don't think. I just do. And that's when you know you got it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of To The Last Drop, where we seek to offer you support in attaining, maintaining, or just being entertained by sobriety. I'm your host, Dominique Spinelli. And I'm Shelly Robbins. So pretty much every weekend, okay, so I'm, I'm from Jersey, and we live by New Brunswick, which is Rutgers campus. So we would go and party on the, on the strip. The whole, the bar strip where all the students were at, that's where we were. And initially we were just partying. So $2 Tuesdays, Thursday Thursdays, Friday, Saturday. So you already see where the problem came in, living that college lifestyle. And meanwhile, I'm just majoring in Eastern Ave instead of like <laughs> really majoring in something at school. Okay, so one night in particular, there was going to be a storm. There was supposed to be like a blizzard or something. So we knew we didn't have to work the next day. So my girlfriend and I went to Easton Ave and we're like, yeah, like let's just go grab a drink. And for whatever reason, my spirit was like, we're going to that bar tonight. And we had gone to every other bar on the strip for like two, probably at this point it was like two years. And that night in particular, my spirit was like, no, go to that bar. So I told my, I said, girl, we going to that bar tonight and I don't wanna hear nothing you have to say about it because she used to always give me lip. So we went to the bar and we sat down. It was dead, it wasn't a party bar, but they had an open mic. And I'm listening to everybody that grabbed the mic and I was like, I'm funnier than you. Like, <laughs> I know I'm funnier <laughs> than you. And so, I, so my girlfriend was like, girl, go up there and grab it. And I was like, word, I don't have fear of public speaking. I'm gonna go up there. So I did and I killed it. And we were all sitting around shocked because my girlfriend and I, we, at this time we had been friends for maybe six or seven years, uh, anywhere between five and seven years. And um, we had always talked in the car about just random topics, very like Wendy Williams show, like pop topics and such. And I would always go in and she would, they would crack up, but I never thought I was funny. I just, I thought they were just laughing. So <laughs> when I grabbed the mic that day and I got a response from people I didn't know, I was like, I think I have something here. She was like, Dom, you got it. So, and then from there, the host had reached out to me, pretty much had made me part of his like group. And now we're kind of running like, like a fake chitlin circuit a chitlin circuit on a smaller scale. So now we're, you know, wherever he's at is where I'm at. And then I just started making more connections. The next thing you know, in less than a year of doing comedy, I had already booked a, a show for like $150. That's not typical. But the thing was, the drinking started taking away from the writing. It took away from the concentration on the stage. I'm so focused on, okay, you're scared right now, but you wasn't scared that first time you did it that I couldn't tend to the art of comedy. And that's what I loved so much about it initially, was studying all of the different comedians and like seeing what made them special. Now at this point, I think it goes into kind of imposter syndrome almost. Like, it came to me so easily. Everything came, I, the connections came, I had places to go, I was invited to plenty of mics, I was doing it, just like everybody else. And I never saw that coming in my life. So when it happened and it was just handed to me, it was like, oh man, this is a lot of pressure. And that pressure is what I was just trying to relieve. I think it is kind of that, that boldness that you had. That first time you're going out to drink, you're out drinking at any bar, you see something fun, whether it's pulling you or not, whether it's like, yo, this is my calling, whatever have you, but you've never done it before. So no one has any expectations of you. Then you're drinking on top of that. So you're yeah. like, hey, if, I, if it goes wrong, I just blame it on the liquor, right? Yeah. And so that's that boldness, but then you were good. Yeah. You were good. Yeah. So because of that, and you were getting called back, now you got to deliver. Now they're gonna have expectations of you. Yeah. And that is, I think, I believe that is the reason why you were having those issues, like many people do. That's real. 
I could totally see that being true. So I know you were mentioning before about your mother and having that mommy detox because of the pressure that was applied on you from her. If maybe you could just tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. Like what type of pressure was that? It was just having to be the good kid, you know? Because I don't know if this is normal in families of like, that have more than one kid, it is normal because oftentimes they'll refer to things like middle child syndrome and things of that. So if you have middle child syndrome, you're automatically the bad kid. I was the oldest. And then the baby was the baby. There was three of us for a lot of my life. So I'm number one, number two is the middle child, so you're automatically whatever you are. And then the baby who has no expectations put on them at all. And it was like, Dom, you better get this right. You better make your mother proud. It's like, what? <laughs> Why me? Number two is exempt because she's number two, and number three is exempt because she's the baby? How's that fair? I understand that. I'm the oldest as well. So, yeah, I get it. I it's get not it. easy having subordinates, especially when they don't want to listen because number two couldn't take direction to save her life. This literally sounds like the conversation that I had with my children last night, 100%. <laughs> I have three children. I have my oldest son, my daughter, and who are, those two are only a year apart, and then my youngest one. And we literally just had to explain to them the roles that they have. And my oldest son was talking about the pressure on him to be able to, you know, uh, manage the younger two and, and things like that. And they're like, well, he's not my dad. And so we kind of had, had to have this whole conversation last night in regards to the roles of siblings that, you know, there's a little bit difference and not the equality of it, so just simply because he is the oldest. Yes. Yeah, so. And with that, um, it actually... Like, the pressure had built up so bad, and I was already just in a bad space in life, so it didn't make it better. It had gotten so bad that when I finally decided to go to rehab and I had it all set up, I literally had a week to go. So pretty much, my girlfriend and I watched Encanto, and it is my favorite movie to this day now. It used to be Pocahontas, now it's Encanto. Mm -hmm. Because the, the strong sister, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the strong sister has a song called Surface Pressure. And I've watched it since and I still cry. <laughs> I have it on my phone downloaded when I play it, I still cry. I feel those feelings. Whoever wrote that was writing it for me, I'm sure. That feeling of like, there's a line in the song that goes, Did you know your skin is your biggest organ? Why not give it the nutrients it needs? Nature's technology is a wholesaler of commodities such as shea butter, cocoa butters, sea moss, and over a hundred herbs for drinking and smoking. They also make natural body care products such as shea butters, deodorants, lip balms, and sugar scrubs. They also specialize in holistic herbal teas, as well as party starting herbal root drinks, mocktails, guaranteed to make the night a great one. Check them out on Instagram and TikTok at Nature's Technology One, or on Facebook at Nature's Technology. You can also give them a call at 1-800-545-2906 and tell them to the last drop sent you. While you're at it, go on the website and use promo code to the last drop, all caps, for a discount on your first order. Get yourself that. And remember, plants, herbs, and roots are nature's technology. It was literally my life, that feeling of, I can't mess this up. And even in the movie, right, the, this sister that I'm referring to, she's like brawlic, like very strong built. And compared to the other ones, which are like dainty and, and frail, she's very bigger, she's much bigger, and she always has to lift, like you're, you're doing that to feel feminine. Because there's, a, let me read the line in the song. But wait, if I could shake this crushing weight of expectation, would that free some room up for joy or relaxation? or simple pleasure. Instead, we measure the growing pressure that keeps growing, keep going, because all we know is pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. So she's not even allowed to be feminine. And I found that in my own life, I had to be like, I often referred to myself growing up as my mom's first son. And I'm all the way a girl. When I got to rehab, that's what messed me up so bad. And I was, Contest contest for me. I wore sunglasses the whole way through rehab. Inside, outside, rain, snow, sleet. It wasn't no snow, but you know what I mean. I was wearing sunglasses because I didn't want to show that I was hurting. I would cry in those group sessions, but nobody knew because I had on the darkest glasses you could get, and I just had my little tissue like, man, that's sad. And I used to tell myself like, oh, be a G, be a G, be a G. And one day something spoke to me, and it said, Dom, be a girl. 
whatever that means to you. And I understand that there's gonna be a feminism aspect of like, oh, well, you don't have to cry to be a girl. Yeah, whatever. I deserve to cry. Everybody deserves to cry. And the fact that I keep telling myself, be a G, be a G, what does G stand for, gangsta? Like, when, Dom? You grew up in Bridgewater. When? Would you have a gangsta? <laughs> Cry. It's okay. So where did you hear that from, that you got to be hard and be a G? Like, was it somebody in your family or a friend? How old were you? Were you in school? Definitely. Uh, my mom, okay, so my mom used to call me Crybaby Bear. She used to call me Crybaby Bear, and she used to say that I was dramatic a lot. But I just feel feelings deeply, and I don't take well to disrespect. And what happened was, initially... I guess as a kid, it resulted in, in crying a lot. But then as an adult, it just changed, it turned to rage. So then she would say to me like, oh, like, you're so angry all the time. Why are you so angry? And it's like, no, I'm actually hurting. Yeah. Anger is just the, what you see on the iceberg. That feeling comes from immense sadness, sadness, disappointment. Um, uh, the feeling of like rejection is just, it comes, it's deeper than that, but I was masking it because I wasn't allowed to cry about it. Yeah, I, I definitely can understand that. Um, that pressure to, to mask that pain, I think it's easier to express anger than the vulnerability of, of crying or just being soft. And that's something that I've had to definitely um, focus on over the last year or two to allow myself to step in my femininity as well. Yeah, and, and stepping in your femininity is not easy. There's nothing easy about it. And when I got deeper into it, I realized, like, I was ruining my own relationships. Absolutely. By trying to be the man of the relationship to good men. I had, I've had some good ones, like, literally some great ones. Shout out to them. <laughs> so what were you doing? I was just trying to always be the leader, the power structure. Like I never, I didn't know what it was like to take a back seat. I had to be in control. I had a control issue. Like literally, if you're not, you're not doing and talking and acting like I need you to, you're a disgrace. Get out of my face. Get away from me. Like that's terrible to do walk you, around with. Do you think maybe there was a part of you that like subconsciously attracted men who maybe weren't in a leadership role that allowed you to lead, allow you to like puppet string them a little bit yes. so you could not have to hold yourself accountable to that femininity because you weren't a, like aware of it. Absolutely. Or comfortable with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. And my best relationships were with the two in particular that were softer. But how do they, you know, how do they get to become men and lead? Because then, then there's this strange longing for somebody to lead you. And it's like, but wait, you're leading. Who's following who? Now we're the blind following the blind. Exactly. And I know stemming from my childhood being the oldest as well so there was already that pressure to kind of be like my mom's wingman or right hand man in some way shape or form and you know I did I did embrace go through a lot of trauma as a child and um, I think what caused me to kind of have that uh, dissociation to my emotions was that there was no reaction to the trauma so here I am these this little girl and really bad things were happening, right? And I would respond like I should have, and it was just almost like crickets. Or it, there was no emotion behind it, and it would make me think to myself like, am I even allowed to feel this? Am I allowed to be soft? Am I allowed to cry? Am I allowed to be scared? Am I allowed to do any of this? And it created the shell that I kind of lived in, and the only emotion I really felt comfortable with if it was to express in a in a negative way, I guess, was anger to a degree. But I did learn to dissociate from my emotions a lot of the time and why I drank because it was easier to numb it out. I agree, I agree. It was all that drinking, I was just compressing. I was just trying to push it all down. It doesn't matter. We don't have to talk about this right now. It's a holiday and that's the thing, like the drinking gets worse on holidays. Mm -hmm. And it makes you wonder, do we drink more on holidays because we have a whole bunch of gripe with our family that we don't want to deal with on the low? Like every other day of the year, I got smoke with you, but because it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to drink and smoke with you. Ooh, bars. I'm going to drink and smoke with you, and we're going to act like this doesn't happen because I'm not going to see you for another 364 days. Exactly. Exactly. I think it is an icebreaker. I think that 
you know, at family functions or gatherings and things like that, alcohol is the center of it. Society has normalized it. We all have accepted it as something that's just part of our normal day-to-day -day routine, and it takes the edge off. I think everyone can agree to that, that alcohol will take that edge off, but most of us don't know how to set limitations to how much we drink. And so there's always the, the drunk person in the family or the super angry one or the really goofy, silly, outspoken one or things in that nature, and then the ones that don't drink. Mm -hmm. But if you really think about it how many family functions are there where everyone's not drinking there's somebody always drinking yeah always like I could I doubt it if I've ever been to an event where everyone was sober I mean even in AA yeah like and me. I've been the drunk one there I did. I've been the drunk one in church like I it, it's been bad like yeah me. I mean there's really not a lot of environments that I've been in, whether I've been the sober or the one drinking, um, either way it goes, I've never really been in a group where everyone was sober except for rehab. That's real. Now, and we had so much fun in rehab, but we're going to get back to that. Moving forward, it's that aspect of this is where healing and emotional um, maturity comes in. It's like, if being around your family on that day or these days, whatever holidays they are, makes you have to turn to alcohol like that. Like you're that uncomfortable that you have to be disassociated from the present moment, which is all we got is this moment here right now. Then maybe that's not who you should be with. I had a struggle with my family in particular that was like, we almost feel like we have to spend a certain, a particular holiday together. And I'm like, but it don't feel like family with y'all. When I spend it over here, it feels like family. Right. You know, the food might be pretty. You got a few dishes over there that's pretty damn good. But it don't feel like family. That doesn't suffice. So, so now I'm just supposed to stuff my face and be quiet and be happy with your dishes rather than go somewhere where I can truly live in the moment and enjoy myself and not have to hide. That feeling of tiptoeing around family is the most disgusting feeling. I despise it. I would rather just not. You know, I, I feel like with family, you show them respect, and that's all I got for you. Relationships are something we work at. You work at relationships. Marriages, you work at that every single day of your life till the end. The family should be the same thing. Just Absolutely. because you my cousin or you my uncle doesn't mean I got to get down with you. I don't really like you that much. Or, or, or have we don't ever, have rapport. Sorry. Have you ever been at a family function where maybe like um, – you don't want to be there because you know you turn up more than the others. They may be drinking, but they don't drink like you. And if you do drink like you with them, it's going to be something that's uncomfortable for them. Because I have found myself with that. Like, I love my sister to death. She drinks, but she, I used to, she drinks like a normal person. And she could have her one glass of champagne or one glass of wine and be done. And really be done with that and enjoy the rest of the night. Where me, once that bottle cracks, it's to the last drop. To I'm the going. last drop. I'm going until the night is over with. I didn't know how to like put boundaries to that until, you know, the, yeah, until the night was just done. So I found myself like not wanting to participate in certain, certain family functions and things like that. And especially when it came to her and it wasn't that so much anything she was doing wrong. It was just, I was very aware that her and I have definitely two different lifestyles mm -hmm. and I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to make no one uncomfortable. I didn't want to be rejected. That's a really big issue for me, me rejection. Too. I have a hard time processing that, um, especially when I was in, when I was drinking, like I just didn't want to deal with it. So it was easier to like pretend I could sit in a driveway and throw a shot back or drink my little mini wine in the car before I go in. I'm already walking in more lit. And you know, while I'm there, anybody may have seen me only have one or two glasses of wine, like, oh, she's good. But in actuality, I probably had, you know, way more than that, two or three, four, I don't know, you know, but I was, I was able to function to the extent I think of maybe even what people expected me to function because I drank so much, they were used to that version of me. And because I wasn't a sloppy drunk or, you know, a fighter, like I have fun, I enjoy myself for the most part until it got ugly but you know that was just what it was so people expected that out of me and I I liked it because I didn't feel that feeling sitting inside of me that that little girl you know being introverted and scared and shy and anxiety and all of that it was just lifted it was gone it was like I'm just gonna be me yeah. you know but in actuality it wasn't it wasn't me that's real
This episode is sponsored by Jacalo. We are the number one luxury brand that empowers you to be yourself. So join the movement and rock the motto at jacalo9.com. Also follow us at jacalo underscore nine on all social media platforms. We'll see you there. Okay, so since we left rehab, which was Memorial Day weekend. We're almost like a both year of us, out. Yeah. Um, what have you found that you like to do sober? Like, what are your go-tos or what have you experienced in the last eight, nine months? Well, I like to go to the movies. Yeah. I really do. I used to drink to go to the movies, oddly enough, and then I would fall asleep in the movie. And like now I go and I actually watch and I'm like, wow, this is great. Why weren't you doing this before? And before I even like needed someone to do it with, I find the most joy in my sobriety is the fact that I can depend on me. Cause you know, when we first came out of rehab, there's that shaky spot. I often refer to it as like being on stilts. Like, wow, I'm all the way up here and I don't really know what to do, so I'm just gonna stay still for a little while. Cause you can't really do what you were doing before and other things might trigger you and you're just like, you know what, I need to just be alone and figure it out. You know, well for me, that's how it worked. They don't advise that you spend too much time alone, newly in sobriety, but I didn't have a lot of support mm -hmm. because no one understood what the problem was. I had plenty of family tell me not to go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that stilt point and and I realized that I had a dependency issue, not just on alcohol, but on humans. And that feeling of like, okay, I need somebody around me. I need someone to take care of. I need some, something to fix or control or control. And then it was like, dang, all you got is you. All you got is you and these cats. My cats, <laughs> they, and I tried to control them too for a little while, but if anybody owns a cat, you know, that's the one thing you can't control is a cat. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, um, I think mine is a little bit different simply for the fact that I've always been comfortable in the sense of like going out by myself, um, but not sober before. So I was very comfortable doing things alone because it was in privacy. And especially if it had to do with drinking, that was very easy for me to cover up. I take myself out to eat, go to the bar, go to the casino, whatever, the movies, concert, you name it, I could do it by myself. And I thought it was kind of like empowering. Mm -hmm. Like here I am, this woman in Vegas, single, going out, doing things by myself. And in actuality, it was just creating like this domino effect because I was hiding who I was. Like it, it was just manipulative and lying and trying to cover up certain things. And it, it may have been small white lies, mm -hmm. but that's kind of what the issue was. So leaving rehab, um, I haven't really spent like a whole lot of time by myself, but I was actually scared to do things sober. And I had a trip to go to New York uh, right when I left rehab. I literally left rehab and went straight to New York City. Never been there before. It has been a dream of mine to go to New York and experience that, but I was actually very afraid um, to go on a vacation and do the things you do in New York and stay sober if I was going to be tempted to drink. Um, if I was going to be an emotional mess, if I was going to be dissociated from the fun, I don't know. I don't know how to have fun sober to that degree. So I was a little um, apprehensive about it, but I had a ball. <laughs> like I had so much fun. I had no desire to drink. I remember every single thing. I didn't look a mess in any of my photos. I was able to have the conversations I wanted to have and see and do the things I want to see and do. And I think that just kind of domino affected since then because I've been on a few different vacations since then. I've also been able to go see a lot of professional sporting events, which is really fun for me because I've never seen any sporting events live in my entire life. Um, and I think that had to do with, I know the Raiders are in Vegas now, but we never had a sports team there for all of my life. So I just never seen it, right? Besides maybe a high school team or something. But yeah, so I've been able to experience hockey, uh, soccer, uh, NBA, NFL, and you know, doing it right too. Like out on the field, like at the NFL game, we went on the first of the year. So we started off the year there and was able to go down the field after the game and things like that. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't sober, you know, like yeah. especially walking in some stilettos on that field. I know it wouldn't right. happen. So I'm glad I've been able to like have those experiences. And I think because I am sober, you know, those opportunities are coming to me. Yeah. All right, Domine, so what are we sipping on today? Well, this week we are sipping on Fever Tree Ginger Beer. Why? Because I found in my sobriety that ginger beer brought me so much joy. And would you agree, Shelly? 
I actually like it. Yeah, it was definitely um, a replacement for me. So I could, I feel like I was having a drink, but really wasn't just not to feel left out. That was kind of my deal. Agreed. And I think something to do with my hand as well. Yeah. Like just having something in my hand, it was just so normal for me. So it was a good replacement. Agreed. And it's, it's great for you. Um, it's, comes in a glass bottle typically so that just gets rid of that hand and mouth feeling a lot of times with like smokers for example they'll still hold smoke sticks because you want the hand and mouth sensation this will give you the same thing uh, imagine you're drinking a little coronita you got that fever tree ginger beer this is that jam Shelly you be everywhere you really make a lot of moves what's the what's next on the agenda Actually, this weekend, I'm headed to Vegas. I haven't been to Vegas. Um, I haven't been back home since August of 21, so about a year and a half. Last year was a full calendar year that I've ever not had been in Las Vegas in my entire life. So I'm excited to go back for a few days, go see Vegas as a tourist instead of a resident. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So what do you plan to do now that you're sober? And it, it must be hard being in Sin City sober. Like, what are you thinking you're going to do? Um, I am going to enjoy it. Like, honestly, I don't, I don't really see myself having an issue without drinking. So we're staying on the strip. I'm going to do all the things that tourists do, right? Like, so up at the, um, was it the Paris? I want to go up to the top and see the view. I want to go even to like the Las Vegas sign. I want to go just, I don't know. There's so many different things that I want to do. Maybe go see a show. Um, I'm going to go to a club, you know, I got the hookup. I got a, I got someone who got the, a man at the door. I'm still going, but I'm going to do it sober. I'm going to enjoy it. And that's like the plan. I just want to go and be on vacation in Las Vegas and not feel like, um, a resident or anything like that. I don't have no one to see, no family or friends that I'm visiting. I'm going there strictly just to enjoy myself. Where are you going next? Oh I know you got a vacation coming. <laughs> oh, I'm the, shoot, I'm on vacation right now with you, Shelly. <laughs> but then uh, next week I gotta go to Florida. Next week we're going on vacation to Florida. As you know, when I came home from rehab, I went to Georgia. Uh, Lord, run that back. As you know, when I came home from rehab, I went to Germany. Yeah. And that was dope. And that just gave me the thrill of traveling. So I'm here now. And I, I came here all by myself. I, know, I feel so you. proud of myself. <laughs> See, I didn't need to call my mom or anything to ask for a terminal. I did it all by myself. <laughs> and then now my, my younger sister and I are going to Florida for a week next week. That sounds good. What, what part of Florida are you going to? We're, we'll be in Tampa. Yeah, what are you doing out there? I'm letting her choose the itinerary, but we're kind of going to play it like a bucket list. So we're going to like make sure we get a tattoo, make sure we go to a massage parlor, like things like that. So how, did, how does it feel traveling with somebody who, does she drink? Sometimes. Okay, so how does it feel like traveling with somebody who is not sober? Well. That one, okay, because she's my younger sister. Yeah, and someone I, in their 20s, too. Yeah, you know. early 20s. She's yeah. only like 22. Because she's so young, I give her grace about it. However, I don't try to encourage it. She watched me go down the hole. She watched me spin out of control. I think that was enough to learn where the line is at. And I try not to even touch on it. Don't really speak about it. She has free will. Yeah. The what is what is the Bible says to, and I'm not her mother. However, we you know have similar values to raise them up in the way in which you would like them to go, and then just expect them to do it. I, I'm sure that she has the heart for it. Um, there have been times where like people will buy us drinks, and I'm like, no, like it has to be a Heineken Zero. But she's drinking real drinks, and she's having to learn like, okay, mixing this with this doesn't work, mm -hmm. or drinking three of these is gonna put me over. We went to a birthday party two days ago, and she had espresso martinis. And my uncle had bought her one, and then she had already had one. I guess it was too strong, because when she got the last one that my uncle had brought her, she didn't want to drink it all. She's like, I can't do it, Dom. And it was, she was only drinking two. You yeah. know we drink more than yeah. that. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and my my alcoholic brain is like, girl, you better finish that drink. Somebody bought that for you. Why you you want to be that lit? Money? Yeah, why are you doing that? What, I, what do you mean? You only had two. Right. Lit. <laughs> But then, throw it back. <laughs> Show me what I taught you. <laughs> but my my responsible brain was like, wow, like I'm really proud of her for this. Yeah. Like so then I just had her take my cup and like put hers in my cup and like dilute it. So when he came by, it looked like her glass was empty. 
you know? Yeah. For the respect aspect. Because that's mad disrespectful. I'm not buying you a drink for you to leave half of it. Right. You can't drink it. Yeah. You get it. If someone <laughs> buys you a drink, you can't drink it. I know, that's right. Today. <laughs> so you think she drinks responsibly then, yes. for the most part? That's yes. good. Like, does it. Do you feel like you have any indication inside, like maybe you want to drink, or do, do you feel the need to if you're around it? No, I don't. I feel really like, and maybe this goes back to the feminine aspect, I feel really sexy that I don't drink. I know that's right, girl. <laughs> I love telling dudes, like, no, I don't drink. Like, since I've been in Georgia, I've only been in Georgia for less than 24 hours, I have turned down two free drinks with two different gentlemen. I'm like, no, I don't drink. Like, like come harder than that. Like, what else you got? You just want right. to buy me a drink so that you can buy me another, because what you're going to do is, because I've already run this play, you're going to buy me a drink, right? I'm going to go to the last drop, which means you're going to buy about five. How many drinks will it take you to leave with me? You're going to buy about five. You might hit if you're lucky. <laughs> and then what? Then I lose. Like, right. I just lose and nothing is gained. You probably weren't my person. Even if you were my person, you're not interested now because you hit. Like, and, and you had a $60. Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we doing this to each other? And all comes from that one choice of drinking. That yeah. one decision, and I think there's something in our mind, especially if we're so used to drinking to escape, it's like, oh, we just want to feel good. Yep. You know, so we open that one, one bottle or one drink, and we start drinking, we start feeling good. Well, the next good thing that can make us feel good is usually could be the person who bought the drink for us. And right. it just domino effects from that, and we wake mm -hmm. up sober like, what happened? Yep. yep. And it goes back to the culture aspect over. of <laughs> that culture aspect of like, I'm going to buy you a drink or like how many drinks will it take you to leave with me? Like it's expected. You ever have that that person that you would call only when you were drunk? I drink around the clock. But yeah, I get what you're talking about. You I know do. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that slippery slide. Yeah. You call them right after the club closed, probably like 30 minutes after that. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> are you by yourself? I, I'm going to come over. And you drive over there plastered. And you have no business behind the wheel or None. whatever, or spending that much money on an Uber. You get over there and you know how it goes. And then you leave, you go your separate ways, and you call them again when you're, when you're drunk the next time. My problem got when my the person that I had for a few years on and off, when it wasn't just me calling you on the weekends. Now I'm calling you when I'm drunk on Wednesday, when I'm drunk on Thursday, when I'm drunk on Friday, and I'm still going to call you on Saturday, duh. And it's like, yo, like, <laughs> how much do you need? And it's, I was going to the last drop. So I know you had touched on this before, but like, what is it like to experience um, dating or sex sober? Well, I haven't. Um, I haven't. I that false courage that it would give me, mm -hmm. or like that feeling. I don't know. I liquid feel like courage. yeah, that liquid courage. I feel like it often would incite the monster inside of me. It's like I'm gonna be a nasty, <laughs> and it's like yo, that person does not exist. I don't know where she went, but she ain't, she ain't here like, no more. I'm good. I'm really good. I don't even want to watch a movie with you, brother. Like. <laughs> Because some of the experience drunk, girl, that's a whole other episode. For but For real. Yeah. And, and like, like, I look forward to it one day, but it would have to be under all the right circumstances. And I had realized with all the drinking, like, I couldn't, and I know, uh, trigger warning, I couldn't finish. Because I couldn't feel my, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. What, why are we doing this? No, I hear you. I why hear are we you. doing this? I would get drunk to go have the D appointment. That's if you're lucky if you find someone to do it. <laughs> oh, he was, he was doing the right thing. I couldn't feel nothing. I was like, well, this, this is a waste of time. <laughs> right. I think um, my that all of that, everything you just said, but it's like the experiencing intimacy. Yeah. You know, it's very easy, like, being drunk and having sex and yeah it's a physical thing and you may enjoy it and it's just hot and all this stuff but there is I can dissociate myself drunk you know or if there is no intimacy if it was just a hookup mm -hmm. it's easy to dissociate from it because you're drunk you don't have no emotional attachment to it but when you actually have sex with somebody and there's emotions involved or if there isn't you're gonna be very much aware of what you're doing and you're gonna feel like crap behind it yeah. because it's not sticking with your morals and values but if you have sex and you're sober and there's actual intimacy that's something new like and it's 
that it isn't the easiest thing for me to process because I know I'm a crybaby. I'm very emotional, and that is something I've diluted for the you know with drinking and intimacy was part of that. So that's something that I'm learning to experience sober, that's which is the first time in my life. It's so wild that you bring that up because when I tell you, even at my big age, I am scared to death. It's like I'm a virgin all over again, low key, because I'm shook. I don't even want to, what? You want me to do right. what? <laughs> no, <Nah. laughs> nah, I'm like scared. And it's crazy because when I had, when I realized that, when I had come to terms with that, like, hey, Dom, you need more than what you were getting before in order to even open yourself up to these experiences, literally. Um, I realized that a lot of my sexual history took place plastered, like under the influence. Yeah. I say my first year, my first like two years of sex, okay, no, but that was a long time ago. So every year after that, I was drunk. Yeah, and I know for myself, um, I, I've experienced a lot of abuse, SA and all of that at a young age, as an adult, um, but being that it, was, it started young, I think my definition of sex period was completely messed up. Yeah. I didn't have the direction or those conversations with my parents. I wasn't taught what intimacy was or valuing myself and my body and that te my temple and yes. things in that nature. And because it was an abusive situation initially, I think that is kind of what created um, how I move forward with men, you know? So it was very dissociated, or I would wanna be in control, or like you said, this wild, you know, sexy girl that's gonna do all these <laughs> things. But in actuality, being sober, I find myself being more feminine. I'm not like aggressive or anything like that. Like I want to be desired and wanted, yeah. and I see myself, you know, settling in that role more when it comes to a man or sex or anything like that instead of like demanding it. I agree. It would be but I do question myself sometimes because sometimes I think I'm like boring or whatever and I have to yeah. get a validation that I'm not. <laughs> but you know, it is you. what it is and it's part mm -hmm. of it. And luckily, you know, I have someone in my life where they actually think, because I've asked him this question a lot, like, do you think I'm boring now? Because he met me very drunk. <laughs> well, actually he didn't meet me drunk, but no, no, he did. No, he did. <laughs> We just continue to get drunk. <laughs> but, you know, like, so he has seen different forms of me. He has seen me extremely intoxicated. He has seen the fun side and the ugly side. And now he has seen my, my sobriety as well. And I've had to ask multiple times, like, do you think I'm boring now? Like, in all aspects. Like, do I talk enough? Do I do fun things? Am I crazy? Wow, whatever. The same part of me that maybe you enjoyed when we first met. And he tells me all the time, like, no, you're, like, lit still. Like, you don't shut up you have plenty to say you're fun yes, he's like does. you just don't look a mess at 4 a.m coming back from wherever we're going you know you're not like a complete wreck and you just hold yourself together better and he also said like it's sexy he's like i love taking you out and you're like i know you're the only one sober there and i see you know we order you a glass of water and how all the girls will look at you and be like oh she ain't drinking all snooty i'm like Oh, me and my lemon water you know, know you could think right. what it is or whatever or when it comes to guys they notice it as well, like, dang, he's got a, a chick on his arm that isn't drinking. She's like the only chick in the bar that is not intoxicated and, and the woo girl and the A girl and all this, you know? And so I question it a little bit with myself, but it does make me feel good. And I do like the idea that I have control. I kind of look at, because I'm a controlling person as well. Yeah. And it's very, um, what's the word for it? it? It's ironic that we want so much control, but yet we want to be so free. And so we liberate ourselves through drinking. Yes. And in actuality, the sobriety gives us more control over ourselves and the clarity that we need in order to make the choices in life that will benefit us. Agreed. I remember th there was a particular day in the facility that I spoke on that control aspect. And I said, right now we are doing, like being in a rehab, we are doing the most we have the most control over our lives that we've ever had, but we drank to have control. Like, it's just ironic. It's crazy. It's ironic. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I, I wanna mention this. So we met in rehab and- We did. 
when I pulled up, I was so afraid to go. I had been wanting to go to rehab for like a year or two. It, it came up multiple times, but it just never was the right time. And my biggest deal was I needed a pause button in life. I'm a single mother of three. I, I work, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I'm a, I got a job, like all the things, right? Anyone could say, but I'm dealing with a lot of trauma. You know, I came to Atlanta coming out of a really bad DV situation. That's what pushed me here. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in my environment may be safer, but I'm not inside. So kept drinking all these things. And when I got to the point um, that I mentioned before with my son and stuff, I'm like, no, I got to go and I got to go now. And I was actually going to put it off until June, until after my vacations. Me too. So I could go drink in New York. Me too. <laughs> but I was like, absolutely not. I don't even think I'll make it between now and then because this is getting real out here in these streets and I am not trying to see how much further I can go because yes. I can check off the list. I was doing the most in there. It was either jail or the grave. That's yes. how I was feeling. Yes. It's one or the other. So when I decided to go to rehab, um, I got there and I pulled up and I was so scared to get out and the first person I saw was you and I obviously didn't know you at that point and I pull up and you were like outside laying on a lawn chair like sunbathing and you were literally like golden glowing just basking in the sun <laughs> and I remember sitting there because I was like they're gonna take my car when I get out like there's no getting out of here and we were in Mount Sinai which is in what, what's the city Dalega is it, am I saying that right Delonica. oh okay I'm so sorry I'm not from here <laughs> I don't know I hear you better than I am but you know we're all the way up in the mountains and they take the car you're behind gates like that's it beautiful area you know but beautiful. I knew once I got out that car it's a it's a done deal yeah. so when I saw you it gave me a sense of peace I'm like oh she looks peaceful she don't look like she's losing her shit yet you know but so I looked at you and I was like all right I, th I think I can do this. I think I can do this. All right, I'm going to get out this car. Sure enough, we were in the therapy group together, and then we ended yeah. up sharing a cabin together and kind of just built this, you know, authentic, genuine connection, and I'm so glad that we did. And, you know, I just want to thank you because you, you got me out that car. I appreciate it. And you didn't even know you were working in my life at that time. <laughs> oh, I'm so touched. <laughs> I just want to uh, put a little put a little interjection there. Um, she and I had very similar parts of the story where we wanted to wait and push it off and we had already been pushing it off for quite a while because we were entertaining the idea for years yes. prior to this. Same here. And it got to that point when we finally decided to go, she said she, she wasn't gonna make it, that she would have been in the grave or in a jail. When everything hit me, my spirit kept telling me, you're gonna hurt somebody. You're gonna hurt somebody. And I don't know what that means in full construct. I don't know if it, if, it, if it was about driving. I don't know what it was about. It could have just been from an emotional standpoint, smacking the mess out of somebody. But I kept hearing, you're gonna hurt somebody. You have to go. I was gonna wait till June too, because my girlfriend, my lit girlfriend, my best litest girlfriend was having a wedding. And it was open bar. And I knew, and I call her the turn up queen. I knew I was going to be at that wedding. I knew we was going to turn up. And I was like, I can't make I'm not going to make it. I'm telling you, I'm not going to make it there. And you're going to mess up everything you work for and disappoint your mother if you don't go get some help. So even when I, when I ended up calling my mom and telling her, like, Mom, I really got to do this. And she's like, Dom, you don't have to. What are you talking about? It's not that bad. I was like, no, I, I don't care about disappointing you right now because you'll be more proud of me when this is over. I, we spent Mother's Day in rehab mm -hmm. by choice. Nobody sent us there. No, I wasn't in, I wasn't in rehab. Oh, you weren't there? I came the next weekend. Well, I was there yeah. on Mother's Day. And it was ironic because I was an anomaly as well as you. We were anomalies because we weren't sent there by court. We didn't have to be there, but we had to be there. Right. right. You know? No, and I definitely... I mean, there's been so many times over the last couple of years, that last relationship I was in literally had me staring at the devil in the eyes. Like it was the worst experience. And I know you heard some of it in rehab and things like that. And that is, I'm not even not, I'm so grateful for that experience now. And I know it sounds like cheesy or corny or whatever. And it took me a long time to be able to actually truthfully get to that place. But I know if I did not experience that, if I was never dancing with that devil, 
I would not have been able to look myself in in the eyes, in that mirror and be like, yo, like I gotta get some help because the drinking prior to that, yes, I used it for, you know, um, taking the edge off or escaping the, the fearful emotions and having a good time and things like that. But my drinking got so bad during that relationship because I was just in survival mode. I was numbing the physical pain that was being put onto me. I was numbing the mental pain. I was numbing just everything. Like, I can't get out of this. I feel entangled in a spider web and I, get, I see my way out, but I can't make it out. And I just got to numb my way through this. And I literally just felt like it's either death or a, it's either the grave or jail. And the person I was afraid of hurting. Not necessarily I was the one being, I was hurting someone, but it came down to like, yo, someone's, my kids are going to end up burying me because of my, my decisions. And I had to make that choice. And I made the choice initially when I left Vegas, like, this is it. I got to get up out of here. But then I came here and I still was drinking, maybe a little differently, but then I created more trauma in my life and different scenarios and things. And it just got to the point where it was like, enough is enough. And so leaving rehab i knew i needed rehab because i needed that pause button like i needed to be able to walk myself through the trauma a little bit and process that and and let it be ugly let myself cry let myself feel not worry about my makeup my hair my clothes not worry about it i didn't want to worry about nothing i just wanted to feel what i was feeling for the yes. first time in my life yes. and whatever that may look like it's fine because we got doctors on deck nurses station pharmacy we got each yeah. other we got like it's it's a done deal, you know? So I'm like, I need that, and yes. I need the rest of the world to stop demanding me to show up. Yes. All the titles I'm holding got to let go. Yes. And I felt like the only way I could get that was by going to rehab. You know, having that space, walking away from my day-to-day -day life, and no one expecting me to do anything. Yes. So by doing that, those few weeks that I was there, you know, like, I came out feeling so relieved. Like, so much has came off me. And, of course, like, it has not been like that since then. I've girl but it, it allowed me it gave me that foundation that core foundation to be like okay I can hold on to this and then plus being able to look my kids in the eyes like yo you will yes I am so sorry I created trauma in your life yes. I am so sorry you have watched and experienced certain things but what you are about to experience is watching your mother get sober yes. watching your mother better herself providing a better opportunity for you and your childhood make sure that I'm here at least a, a based on my own choices instead of you know playing Russian roulette with my life and then possibly killing their spirit yeah. because they don't have me no more. And that is a moving factor in my life for me to stay sober. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's not because it's just like, it's such an easy decision. Like yes. they deserve better. And that is, it's like a full circle, you know, like I started drinking because of my trauma and it's going to happen the same way with my own children. If they don't see a change in those, you know, the words generational curses and breaking generational things and stuff. Yes. It's like a thing that gets said a lot on the internet, but I feel that I do because alcoholism runs deep in my family. Trauma runs deep in my family. And apparently no one before me has had sober, active, healthy parents. And I want to be that. So that is what keeps me keeps me sober and being able to experience those things with my kids as well. Like going to, you know, having their birthday parties or anything, going to the park, going out with them, dinners, whatever. They don't see a glass of wine in my hand. They don't see me intoxicated. Uh, you know, if I take them out going to sit at the bar where they may be enjoying the children's stuff, I'm, I'm getting lit yeah. with the adults. They don't got to see that anymore. You know, I'm actually participating with them and a lot of the times people say, you know, an absent parent, you know, is bad, but a toxic parent is worse than an absent one. And that started shifting for me. I started seeing myself being a toxic parent and I didn't want to be that. And so that's, that's really was the motivation factor. And I'm so happy I've been able to experience all of this in the last eight months, whether it was on my own, with a significant other, with a friend, with my kids, whatever. I'm experiencing life sober for the first time and I, I'm enjoying it. Me too. It's like the world is so much brighter. The, it really is so much brighter. I have a good time going with my sister to the dollar store to shop, right? It's like I'm just present and just happy. Present, yeah. I did some math. You know your girl like money in the hand. But like Drake said, like I went blind, dog. You got to hand it to me. So with that said, let's just do a little simple math, yeah. right? I was spending $50 every week for 50 how many weeks in a year? 52? 52. 
52 weeks, you know how much money that is? I did the math in my head. It's $2,600 every Friday night. We didn't count Saturday, and we didn't count Thirsty Thursday. I encourage y'all, as y'all last drop, to just do the math on how much money you're spending on alcohol. And that was $50. I know a bottle of uh, Henny costs more than that. In my state, anyway. I don't know how much it costs out here. How much bottle can Henny cost out here? Somebody Probably tell me. around the same. <laughs> $37? You don't drink no more, so don't get excited. That's <laughs> right here. Yeah. So with that said, that's my last drop. Do the math and then ask yourself what else you could be doing with that money. Because for $2,600, I could do a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I went to Europe for less than that. So come on, guys. Okay, so you heard our testimonies here, and if you're experiencing anything similar, you're hearing that you might hurt yourself or someone else, or you, you're hearing that you might not make it to Christmas, or it's reflecting in your health, there's a number that you can call, and there's a place that you can reach out to. We went to Mount Sinai in Dahlonega, Georgia. I'm from New Jersey. They take a lot of insurances. I'm all the way from New Jersey, so it was it was a nice little vacation, if you will. But it's one where it pays off in the end. You're gonna feel better. So if you need any help, the number we're gonna try to get it on the bottom of the screen and just reach out and um, call. They'll give you a random liaison. They'll answer all your questions. They pick you up from the airport if you're out of state. They do all of that. Just inquire. I inquired, and I didn't even end up going for two months after that. So it's just worth it to ask the questions, especially if you feel like you're not going to make it. Make a choice that you never have before. It might just save your life. It might. It saved mine. <laughs>